Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast Ain't Got Time For That, where we talk about the world of the ethereal, the empathetic, the out there crazy thoughts and things we all want to do, but we don't get enough time for, or we don't give ourselves enough time for. I'm Zeke Condon, product manager. I'm Ilan, program manager. And today, um, I'm going to throw it over to Ilan to hit me with some questions that I'm I'm really sitting here going, what are you going to ask me? Because I know you want to ask me some questions and I'm a little bit nervous. So, all right. So to start with, maybe to provide a bit of context, um, recently read um, Renee Brown's Daring Greatly, which talks mm. about a bit about vulnerability um, and how to use vulnerability to improve environments, improve ecosystems, and just overall improve relationships. So I thought it was a great segue to ask a couple of questions around your journey so far with your with Telos, um, how you've gone about starting it, um, some of the lessons that you've learned along the way, and then also maybe just to bring in a bit about how you've used your sort of design thinking background um, to um, within the business. Mm, okay. Um, I can definitely answer that. But for the listeners, do you want to give us a bit of a heads up on who Renee Brown is and uh, a little bit about what the book kind of taught you? I was going to say that for later. Well, it might help to build some context into what I'm about to ramble on about because that's actually it's, a, it's an exciting journey and I don't want to spend too much time ex- <laughs> explaining it. Cheeky. Um, so she's a researcher, academic, and has spent a lot of time um, in this human psychology space mm-hmm. looking at um, people understanding drivers, but centering very much around um, vulnerability. Um, and one of the messages that comes through um, throughout the book is the way that people um, are shaped from a very young age. And um, that can be from a formal environment, such as schools, such as um, extracurricular activities, or even so much as um, family members, and how there's a difference between using shame to drive behavior change and vulnerability. Um, And a lot of the time, unfortunately, people use shame um, to try and change behaviors and to almost try and correct behaviors. And that's not necessarily the right way to do it um, because there's obviously a lot of negative connotations that come with it. Um, So she speaks more to using vulnerability to, to be transparent, to talk through your experiences and then allow the other person to kind of be open and um, learn um, on their own um, to improve that. Mm, That's a really good um, explanation of uh, one of my favorite people in the world. Um, One of my great, one of the greatest authors that I believe has really struck on a lot of stuff that hasn't hit mainstream yet, but um, the more I kind of watch where's, where's, you know, the corporate world going, the startup world, the political world, 
she's been on the money since the start. I think she's like five or six books in now. Um, two or three of them are like mainstream ish ones. Um, excellent. Look, uh, to answer your question. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I try not to put it too much in the lens of Renee Brown, but but my journey has been um, definitely a, a, a Renee Brown style, vulnerable led um, design thinking, human centered design journey to get to where I am with Telos and where I want to go as well. Um, uh, my story starts actually uh, from probably high school um, where I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, didn't really have anyone who could quite guide me to where I needed to go, but I was always full of energy and um, wanting to do new things and uh, always in, in a creative space. And so I got into um, a couple of different things, got into trouble as well as high school, um, dropped out of high school and then uh, tried viticulture for a little while, didn't really clash with that because it was a bit of hard work. Loved the wine side, not so much the hard work. Then I got into chefing. Um, now, uh, chefing was, everyone said, you know, this is crazy, you work long hours, you don't get paid much, but damn, it was, you know, it just filled the passion, right? There was always something new. There's always something crazy going on. There was never a dull moment and I just loved it. I just thrived. Like, um, so I did that for four and a half years. I did two years in a small town in Mudgee, um, moved from there into into the big smoke, as you will. Um, but the reason um, I talk about the chefing side of things um, is that, you know, within that uh, there's this concept of, of um, the apprenticeship, right? And, and, and that's where Telos to me started. Uh, so I didn't realize at the time I wasn't mindful of it, but there's this amazing dynamic within there where, you know, everything it's they harness so much creativity and design they harness so much business prowess and they ha they harness so much in the way of sort of technological development um in terms of what they're doing with the food more from a science point of view um and pull it all together into this amazing little unit um of of individuals that that just get to do stuff and so together right and and they kind of represent like a sprint team or, or a scrum team of today they're just the way that they work the dynamic that they work in the head chef the delivery team how it's always you know constant continuous improvement constant continuous delivery always responsible for the entire end-to-end -end value chain of that organization but um, you know what i find quite funny with that um mm. and uh, i'll let you get back to it in a moment mm. is we always see the technology space as being on the forefront of innovation and you give that analogy um i've heard similar um conversations in the architecture space mm. i think we're on the back foot yeah man it's like the the the, the technology like the, the technology behind everything is like everything's been done, everything's been made, but it's about using things in new and novel ways is the innovation. Um, but in terms of actually, you know, taking that, right? So, okay, technology is there and then using it in new and novel ways. The, you go into looking at like in the kitchen, they're, they're the kings of using things in new and novel ways, right? Like you look at what's happened in terms of like the food innovation boom in the last 15 20 years and that's because they're they're utilizing the you know the three overlapping circles of like the you know what's the customer want and customer satisfaction is number one the the business right to they, they run on 
ultra low margins. So they have to be really nifty with how they create their business models. You know, the apprenticeships, the cadetships, the, the, you know, kitchen hands, the getting everyone like inspirational leadership to, to draw so much out of people, but you know, no one whinges because everyone wants to be there, you know? So there's this culture behind it. And then the technology, it's like, man, like, pepper with strawberries was like the big thing that we felt like we we're on the forefront at, you know, if one of the memories that was in my head was like, who thought of doing that? And it was amazing. And it was like, that was like kind of the technology side of it, you know, you know, like, so yeah, there's not enough of that happening in the, in the world. And so this is why I'm sort of drawn to tell us because I, I got, I got kind of rudely ejected from that industry. Um, I ended up with a, a skin illness that I got out of it, but, um, I've, I spent my whole career looking for something to replace it and it doesn't exist. Um, so I found, I found part of the, you know, the building products and building, you know, and the creativity in product. And, and I found that by accident again. So just sort of navigating my way through the corporate world and trying to work out, oh, this is here, this is here. I didn't have like a technology background or, or like, you know, I had a hospitality bachelor's degree. I didn't really know what was going on. I just kept asking questions right? and I was, you know, vulnerable. And I, and, I, and I would go through that whole journey of just being super vulnerable of, hey, I, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid from the country was usually what I would start with. Um, a lot of people used to tell me, don't lead with that. Don't lead with that. You know, you, you sound stupid. I'm like, I did for a while, like, you know, try to hide it. And then I, I'm, but, but because I was a kid from the country, I would fall behind because they'd start talking their talks, they'd have their connections, they'd have this, and I'd be like, this isn't working. So I had to you know, own it, right? And so I started owning that and then did all that through, through you know, learning to be a, um, a product manager. And I got that whole concept of, um, you know, creating a product and, and creating something from scratch and understanding how the business side of it comes together and understanding the customer side of it. And then I started to get into this scrum and agile thing. And I was like, oh, this is where it's at, right? This is, we're getting closer to that feeling that, that um, bring it all together, that collectiveness. Um, but uh, within the corporate world, there was still that kind of real, um, you know, in it together cultural element of, you know, where, we're a small team. We're running on a fine margin. We're here for a, for a greater purpose. So I jumped out of corporate for that, and I jumped into um, I jumped into actually an upper director role where I first met you. First, um, thought maybe it was just that I don't have enough responsibility. Then I jumped into that, and then realized that you know every layer you go within a corporate, there's just another layer glass ceilings you get through. Um, and then I got into consulting and tried to help organizations do that. And then again, it was just like, there's too many glass ceilings. And so Telos is um, essentially me trying to recreate that, that feeling, that culture, um, that uh, innovation, that togetherness in, in the business world. Um, and it's taking individuals teaching them to, to be vulnerable, own who they are, be aware of that. Um, and, and, you know, wear it. Um, I also quite recently, um, discovered that my fanaticalness and my forgetfulness and my want to jump to new things is actually closely related to something else that I will be completely vulnerable with you here. So about six months ago, um, I finally got di diagnosed with adult ADHD um, and boom, <laughs> the whole world made a lot more sense to me. Um, 
So I, I took a lot of, a lot of um, my failures on my chest throughout my kind of personal and career journeys. And, and I was one of the lucky few that few, I would say that had the drive to drive me to no, just keep going, you know, to take it, you know, take every failure as a learning. Um, and, and now that I know who I am, this discovery journey I've been on, um, I want to teach people around me the same thing is that, you know, that the individual journey, flip it on its head, be vulnerable. I, I, I came up with a, um, a term for it the other day called trot your swat, right? So, you know, know your strengths. Everyone knows their strengths. Um, most people don't know their weaknesses. And if they do know their weaknesses, they try to hide them. I'm like, nah, flip it on its head. Make your weaknesses your strength. Make them your connecting point. Make them your, you know, get out there, vulnerability, create a real connection, uncover other people's vulnerabilities, but don't exploit them. Don't use shame. You know, don't exploit empathize with them understand who they are what they want what they need what they want to give back to the world because i truly believe that absolutely everybody in this world as heartless and cold as they may be have something they want to give back to the world um so yeah like telos is is helping helping me take other people on that same journey of the you know personal introspective wearing vulnerability um, learning what your personal goals are. Telos literally means your personal objectives, aim or purpose, right? So understanding who you are better, sharing that with the we and building teams and building networks um, and then talking about building the it. And the it is the, um, you know, the organizations, the products, the 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 process or the whatever it is you want to build so um yeah like that's that's my um journey and the design thinking design thinking human-centered design it's starting with the it does start a lot with vulnerability and and yeah what have you studied what have you um struggled to replicate and what has been easy to replicate along the way (laughs) um uh struggled to replicate um in terms of the like apprenticeship model or yeah um that i parts of it i don't want to replicate um parts of it um around the governing bodies um so i don't believe that there should be a governing body if you wanted to make an apprenticeship for personal and professional development um, without it being governed by something that is run by a um, government that has, you know, a GDP uh, line tag to it. So apprenticeships within Australia, at least, um, the governing bodies that uh, look after that, so Aquis and the TAFE systems, they're all in place to help contribute it to contribute to GDP. Um, and so they're, you know, they're there to, to build that um that framework and maintain it um they do a very good job of keeping it um objective but at the same time because they're governed by a government body they're quite slow and laggy so when we were going through the TAFE system it was very difficult to get up-to-date learning 
there was definitely no coaching or mentoring from any of the teachers that we were dealing with. We had to have a chef that you knew what they were doing. And I was lucky enough to have two or three really great um, TAFE, student, TAFE teachers who just went, look, there's a curriculum. We'll make sure you can pass all your tests, but you know, let's learn some new stuff as well. And they pushed us a lot. We were lucky there, but um, if you've got that governing body, you do end up into that, you know, the potentially the people that are in those teaching positions, they're just not in it, right? They're just, their mind's not, they're not actually there to help teach. They're just there to get a paycheck. So um, I don't want to replicate that um, at all um, because that I think is, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a top-down structure. It's not scalable to, you know, effectiveness, right? It's not. So, so alternative to that is um, having people teach each other and having people create their content and then not only teach it, but then coach and mentor each other. So kind of bringing together the structures of what happened within TAFE and chef where we had the TAFE teachers teach us something um, from a theory point of view. And then we'd go back to our um, kitchen and the chef would know, you know, from an email or something, or actually our workbooks most of the time, what we'd done for that week. And then he had to sign off at the end of the month to say that we'd actually put that into, um, mm-hmm. into practical use and show examples. And um, so there was like, you know, theory, practical, theory, practical. Um, so they need to, you know, building some sort of a, a system or an awareness or a culture or a set of principles that um, individuals in their own personal development, um, the apprenticeship model. Um, so I call it MADE. So managing um, management apprenticeship for dynamic environments, which basically just means, you know, put yourself through an apprenticeship and find out how to teach and learn and be mentored and, and mentor others. Um, so, yeah, that that's probably the thing that I'd say is the one of the difficult things. Um, the other thing that's hard to get in place is like, um this concept of mentoring um it's you know it's very uh it's a taboo subject when you're young to go and find a mentor um i don't even know if it's only while you're young but we'll yeah, start with that. yeah i mean i maybe for myself now because i'm more confident i um and you know comfortable in my own skin i'll walk up to anyone who i think is an interesting person and say can you mentor me? And then I will straight away after that, I will know intuitively, this is what I want from you. And this is what I hope I can give to you someday in return. If that's not what you want from this relationship, what would you like? And that's like, that's my opening line to so many people in a, in a mentoring um, space. Whereas I think people kind of don't even go and ask the first time because they don't, they they think that it's too much to ask. They're a busy person or too out of reach. So that's probably something. I think a lot of people also struggle to define what a mentor is. And I think it sometimes even just stops with that. Um, they expect a structured relationship. They expect boundaries to be put in place. They expect mm. guidance to be given. Um, but it doesn't actually need to be that. It could be something that it's just um, a conversation. It doesn't even have to be a regular conversation. Mm. Um, just a sounding board. And I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there. So I mentor um, a couple of younger people like who are still in university. And 
um, I, I spend, so as a mentor, I think, you know, you need to person who's potentially more uh, in tune with sort of the human development cycles. I think as a mentor, we should all know about learning styles. I think everyone should know about personal learning styles, should know about some of the cultural elements um, around um, personality traits, different um, archetypes, and, and to know as a mentor how to then pick the particular journey to take a mentor mentee on. Um, and because as a mentor, the first, you know, the first sort of couple of sessions or first kind of, you know, formative moments will set that relationship up for a long time. So mentors should know, and I think everyone should know what it means to be a mentor and knowing about humans, not just about technology, right? It's about humans because you're mentoring a human. You're not mentoring a machine, you're mentoring a human. So you need to understand human, um, you know, all of those things around like, just basic psychology. And then putting that in place and setting it in the right direction. So the couple of the people I mentor is like, um, one of them straight off the bat, I kind of identified that they had been doing a lot of things and had not really um, completed them or if they had completed them, have never really celebrated their wins. And I said, well, okay, so I think, you know, from my point of view, you're kind of lacking personal accountability and I didn't say it like that but I said you're lacking personal accountability so how about I will keep asking you on a monthly basis what are your goals for the next 12 months and what's your goals for the next month right and then how did you go with last month's goals and whatever you say to me doesn't matter like you know I'm not going to hold you accountable to it but I'm going to keep asking you great questions to the point where you don't need me anymore. And they're like, okay, cool. And so that's been going for a couple of months now. And I do a 15 minute check-in once a month. Um, and, you know, she's like, she's kicking goals. She's like, oh, I've learned to like focus on stuff. And I'm like, sweet. It's taken me a sum total of an hour and a half to get you to that point <laughs> because I just kept her accountable. Um, and I knew that that's what she needed. And I think um, it, that's a really interesting point to raise um, and something that Renee touched on in her book, um, and that was around giving the feedback as well. Mm. Um, so often we look at it and go, well, what, what is this person not doing well? What's an area to improve? Not necessarily look at the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 things that they're doing well. Um, and if we can frame it in a way that says, you know, you do this very well, um, but sometimes it's overshadowed by this. How do we look at kind of showcasing that, but not having it counted by certain other traits? Mm. Um, and I look, and I think it starts at, you know, everyone needs to be educated and being a mentor. What does it mean to be a mentor? And I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that I'm trying to develop out is a shared understanding of what a mentor is and why it, you know why it's required in the world and vice versa of what a mentee is and then decentralizing that so not you know not trying to suck people into some paid for pyramid scheme which you see a lot of out there when you're doing the research on this stuff you'll find a lot of them out there um but making sure that you know there's a there's a 
a value exchange all the way through this. And the value is not, a, not in money. It's the values in, you know, the network, the values in um, a sounding board, the values in even, you know, this conversation, we have value by soundboarding with each other. And this is like a, um, I call it like the ideas buddy. So it's like the two people who reverse mentor each other, um, I think is a concept that you should have in, in your life and you should have a, a good amount of those. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's I think the things I haven't been able to put in place, the things I have been able to put in place, um, definitely able to take the concept of, um, a team in the kitchen and introduce, you know, all of the great things around how a team should work and then put that into technology development in product teams. And that, that works so much better for me than going in there guns blazing, talking about agile because technically what I'm doing is teaching people agile, but I never say agile. Um, I want people to visualize. I want people to, to, and this is design in itself, right? Is to visualize the thing, not to research it to death, not to understand the process and how everyone else has done it, not to learn the rote learning, but to visualize and to, um, you know, take and internalize and apply that to their own personal, um, you know, experience or, or, th- or, or tr- journey ahead. And, um, we going back to something we said earlier, like last week around, you know, the principles versus process, you see so many organizations out there who fail on the agile journey because they were doing agile, but they weren't being agile. And that's because they weren't, they, they went straight into the, okay, cool. I don't want to have to think I'll just learn and I'll see how someone else is doing. And I'll jump to this. I'll change it on. Oh, someone else has done it over here. They've done it over here. Oh, this isn't working. And you get too caught up in the process. So and this is the difficult. I think we conditioned from such a young age to focus so much on the definition of what we're doing as opposed to actually enjoying the process. And yeah, really kind of getting to the crux of the matter and understanding the why. Mm-hmm. Um, if we spend more time doing that and having those honest conversations, I think the result would be very different. Mm-hmm. And like, like I, I think it's probably interesting to note that you asked me about human-centered design at the start of this conversation and I haven't actually told you what the process is but now you understand okay this human-centered design thing I can see how it might work well I hope you understand anyway but um you know that's that's one of the 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 things that I'm trying to instill in people is that the why you know the why you're doing something the purpose like that's way more powerful than trying to um, go into the process. When we get to the process time, we have some tools that are there, but um, we don't have to stick to them. And I learned that myself <laughs> um, by having to put a lot of processes in place over the years uh, as being an ADHD person, not knowing that I was becoming a stickler for the process, because if I didn't have them personally, I couldn't keep myself accountable. Um, you know, it's an epiphany now for me, but I've, I've, put all those processes in place and I failed like I have royally failed in my professional life from you know compared to other people who have been given the experiences that I have and I reflect back on it and the reason is is that I put in so many processes that people just couldn't keep up with whereas I put them in place 
for myself. And I didn't realize that. And, you know, now I know, now I'm like, well, hang on a second. All those trial and errors of putting the processes in place at a macro level is like what's going on in the world <laughs> in general. And that's why I've failed. So now I can take my failings on the micro level and say, hey, hang on, people. You know, this whole following the process thing, it's just not. I see a big, I see a blog post, a blog post coming shortly. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> mm. Final thoughts before we wrap up for the day. Um, yeah, I think that um, shame is an interesting thing that you said. Um, and I think that shame is used on us um, in subliminal marketing messaging. Um, and it comes in the form of um, fear of missing out. Um, so we have now as a culture, as a human race, um, we all have this thing of FOMO and it's become mainstream. Um, behind FOMO is uh, the fact that humans don't want to lose value that they've invested. And in the intellectual world, our time has become our biggest investment. And if we invest time into understanding or learning about something or even knowing that it exists, we become personally, internally ashamed that we miss out on it. And that's what FOMO is, right? So, so to, to your point around vulnerability versus shame, um, introspective challenge for everyone out there, like learn not to be um, FOMO, learn to be vulnerable and say, I don't have time for that. Or, you know, I, I, I would love to, but I can't. But then say why and let other people around you know. And if it was meant to be, it'll happen. You know, people around you will shift things. But that's the first I have a step. conversation about it. I think that's where the issue is. Mm. I think a lot of the time um, we'll throw up a wall, we'll throw up blockers. Mm. Um, Whereas a simple conversation can change the outcome. And it's and it is being vulnerable. So when people say I ain't got time for that, ask why. Be vulnerable. Yeah. Asking why is like you 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 know actually no one said you can't ask why. You can press your friends, you can press your colleagues. Um, you know, and, and that is vulnerability. Being being ready to jump on those those taboo questions, like questioning someone wear your heart on your sleeve, ask them why. Because if you genuinely care, you ask why. If you really want them to do the thing with you, you ask why. If you really think that they could fit it in, you would ask why. So yeah, final thoughts. Awesome. What was the book called, by the way? Renee, Renee Brown? What was the latest book? Um, I don't know what her latest one was, but I read Daring Greatly. Daring Greatly, great. We'll put a link to that in the podcast comments now um thank you alan i want to hear your story next week um <laughs> i'm kind of exhausted after that um i will uh look a call out to the listeners um anyone who's got a you know a story to share around their vulnerability um a story to share around how you know they've used that human centeredness and that self-discovery to get where they are and maybe it's not where they thought they would be um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, reach out. We're looking for people to interview now. Those kinds of stories are going to be awesome to talk to. Um, thanks very much. I'm Zeke Condon. Milan, till next week. Thanks, Til everyone. Week.
Cheers, guys.